When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. After the meteorite that was the European Super League crashed full tilt into planet football, the dust is only just beginning to settle. The impact may have been and gone, but there is a crater in our beautiful game, a significant scar in the surface of the sport that may never fully heal. Buried in amongst all the debris were some notable casualties. Jose Mourinho sacked by Spurs before Manchester United head honcho Ed Woodward announced his resignation too. We'll discuss that significant boardroom departure at Old Trafford on today's podcast, as well as the apologies from those Premier League owners in the slipstream. Everton were damning in their condemnation of the division's dirty dozen. Some argue that they're next in line to pull up a seat at the top table. The ambitious Toffees director of football, Marcel Brands, has signed a new long-term deal, and that's also on our agenda today. Oh, and there were two top-flight football matches last night too, even though the week's events may have hemorrhaged all enthusiasm. I'm Niall McCorn, and you're listening to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the football season. And on duty to assist with the Super League sweep-up today, it's Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hello, guys. Good morning. Good morning. And John Paul Hughes is also on hand to give us perhaps a more zoomed-out perspective as he peered on Premier League affairs from atop Hadrian's wall. How's things, JP? Tickety-boo, mate. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is about as close as a, re- a Scotsman will ever get to the, the European Super League, maybe other than refereeing a match. So <laughs> glad to be here. Well, as you say, the fabled European Super League project has collapsed. It's imploded. It was built on sand, really, wasn't it? That became official as yesterday's Football Social Daily was being recorded with nine of the 12 founding clubs, if you can call them that, pulling the plug on the project. We've seen outcry, we've seen outrage and some outspoken takes too. But we've also seen apologies from some of the dirty dozen as those big six Premier League clubs are now being labelled. Do these apologies wash and what should the repercussions be for those Premier League sides involved? That's where we're going to start here on today's Football Social Daily. So come on, JP. I think you're pretty much in line with me on this one. Should the big six Premier League sides be punished? And if so, how should that punishment come about? 
Yes, Game of Thrones style, stripped naked, walked through the streets of the United <laughs> Kingdom, flogged, <laughs> rotten fruit thrown at them, <laughs> and then banished to a tower, never to be seen again, maybe only rescued by dragons. Um, there is a, there's no question punishment has to come. Um, I don't think it will, however. I think that uh, when the dust settles a little bit, um, everybody will... Uh, <sighs> Get a sense of perspective around the fact that um, I know, I know, I, I, by perspective I don't mean uh, there hasn't been a massive, massive error made here and a genuine threat to to, to football as we know it, <clears throat> but it hasn't gone through. Um, there has been no real damage done apart from maybe the pockets of the big six as it stands because uh, they're all going to have to pay uh, fees now for <laughs> for backing out. Um, and what is that punishment to be? There's no question there must be some uh, form of recompense for this. And uh, you need to think about how, how are they going to work together, right? We all need to move forward. Everybody's got together. You know, we, we must move forward again for the good of the game as a whole across Europe and the world. Um, if they're going to be punished... Um, and I, I know that um, we've talked about you know being thrown out of the Champions League if they were to go ahead with it, points deductions, all these things. Um, I it's, it's a real tricky balancing act because to punish the 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 team, if you want to call it that, you know the the the, the, the team on the pitch um, feels unfair because they haven't. There's been no sporting advantage gained. By this, you know, it's not been some tax dodge to get players on the pitch that you couldn't afford to buy, or um, some, you know, underhand transfer dealings or that kind of stuff. So it's a really, really tough one, and maybe, maybe it would be um, some form of suspended ban um, that is taken for the Champions League. Or I would quite like to see them banned from next season Champions League. I think that'd be pretty funny and open things right up and just show them that that, that UEFA have some teeth. Um, but we know that they don't. Um, you know, without uh, kind of derailing this conversation into something else, when we see the the, the racism issues and all that, and how those are dealt with, um, with the absolute minimum level of uh, of, of punishment, um, then uh, I don't expect to see anything really come. But there must be some form of punishment dished out, because otherwise. Where is the disincentive to do it again? Which, by the way, I do believe will happen. I don't think this has gone away. I think it's been delayed. And rather than a massive knee-jerk change, I think you're just going to slowly see an erosion of things as we know it towards a format like this over time. Well, you jokingly mentioned there, JP, about you know the punishment being almost medieval, You know, putting these teams in the stocks and having them get pelted with rotten tomatoes. But do you, do you think that this punishment, if there is one, it needs to be a public punishment. It needs to be out there so that it's there for all to see because, you know, you jokingly talk about the stocks, but that was the point. It's the point to, to almost make a mockery and an embarrassment of the person who's committed the crime. You know, and we're talking this is 500 years ago and, and obviously the context is totally different in the football world. But I think that absolutely has to be the case. I think that the punishment, if it does come, it needs to be something which is is seen to be harsh, so it sets a precedent for other teams and clubs and owners possibly thinking about doing this again further down the line. Yeah, there, there must be a form of deterrent. Um, but being the the eternal cynic that, that I am, um, I always think they'll be a wee bit reluctant to punish too publicly and too harshly in case they actually come up with a way of doing this themselves. 
Um, and uh, I, I know the question's been posed um, on social media and a, and a few other um, publications. Um, if the other 14 teams in the league if, had, had been invited, would they all be so outraged? Um, would they have been able to resist it? So, well, as I said, I think that there will certainly be hesitation about doing anything too harsh and too public because quite a few of them might find that there's a way to actually reconstruct this in some form that benefits more people and want to do it themselves, but then be scared of doing it. But you're right, for me, and and, and, and I wish this was the case across more of society and not just football, that a, a harsh punishment is dished out, um, deservedly so, to those, um, but we all always know that if you've got deep enough pockets, because this is the other side of it as well, um, there's a legal element to the punishment um, and you think about who you're going to try and punish there are some pretty deep pockets there um, and I am pretty sure that all the legal teams will be looking at this right now to find out if there's any breach of rules uh, if there has, can they be punished for it but vice versa, the legal uh, advisors of these uh, very, very, very rich owners will be looking at this to make sure um, not too harsh a punishment uh, as they see it is dished out and they can drag this through the courts for a very, very long time well, those deep pockets is why I think that the punishment should be felt on the pitch. And I don't care whether people think that that's not fair on the players. I don't care at all because at the end of the day, I mean, this is what I didn't understand about Jurgen Klopp the other day when he came out and he was saying, well, it's not our fault, we're just a football team. Unfortunately for Jurgen Klopp, and it's just part of the territory that he has as manager of Liverpool Football Club, he is the face of Liverpool Football Club. And he is naturally going to be throwing these barbs and these questions about the situation that's happened. Now, my club, Portsmouth, I'm going to use my own personal experience. We were punished heavily, sanctioned heavily. We were docked nine points, ten points by the FA and the Football League for going into administration. That's not the fans' fault. That's not the players' fault. It was the fault of the owners of which the fans and the players were punished. How is this any different? I don't see how it is any different. Yeah, it's not the players' fault. It's a decision made by the owners and the big wigs at football clubs that have brought the game into disrepute. I think they need to be punished. And like you say, because they've got such deep pockets, slapping a million pound fine on them or taking the Champions League revenue away from them for a season, yeah, it might be quite funny to chuck them out. But why don't you make it painful for them to the point where you know that the reason they've not qualified for the Champions League is because midway through a season where there's still plenty to play for, they've decided to try and announce this breakaway league. Jim also said yesterday, Marley, he didn't think points deductions were the right way to go. He said that as a West Ham fan, he didn't think it would have been right for, let's just say, all the sides above West Ham, bar Leicester or whatever, got, do do got docked 10 points. West Ham would then be second in the Premier League. And he said he didn't feel that that was a an, an appropriate way to end the season. What's your opinion on the whole thing? Uh, I'm I'm stuck, to be honest. Um, I agree that they should be punished. I'm just not entirely sure how. Because um, as you say, you know, there's there's pros and cons with every every situation. You can't find you can't find them because um, any punishment where the the fine is is financial is just punishment for for the poor. Like rich people don't don't uh, feel fines. You know, if you if you drive a Ferrari and you get a parking ticket. You don't care because you've afforded a two hundred grand Ferrari and you've a forty quid t parking ticket for parking in a bus stop, is uh, is not really you know doesn't really affect you. So, um, it it is a tough one. The only thing I would I would say and the only thing I've got kind of faith in is the the Premier League rule that they've supposedly broken. Number one, it has to be proved that they've broken it. As in, you know, I think it's is it E nine or L nine or something. This rule. Um, that says you must not compete in any other competition. Um, 
they once they find out whether they're uh, guilty of breaking that because they never actually played in it, but they signal their intent to. So once they actually break that, because there's a rule of rule that specifically says you can't do what they did, you would assume that any rule has a set punishment. So you already know what you're gonna do uh, once you find a club guilty of uh, breaking this rule. So hopefully they've already sorted it out, but you get the feeling that they haven't because. As you, you know, it's never happened before. So, you know, um, you would you would probably understand why they wouldn't have that situation, um, like black and white type of thing. You know what I mean? So, I would, I mean, thinking about the the types of punishment, I would either try and ban them for a year in the transfer market, which again doesn't really do anything because it wasn't related to transfers, um, or I would I would lean towards points deductions whether it's three or five points or something like that it's not as serious as administration um i don't think because it doesn't threaten the the future of the club per se more the future of the the premier league which is a different thing um but yeah i mean three or five points maybe um i was thinking of just thinking of random other punishments like you know not uh playing games behind closed doors but that just punishes fans more, so that's kind of unfair as well. But I'd probably probably lean towards points deductions because that's the thing that the whole club's gonna feel, um, and I feel like that is a necessary um, a necessary way to go. Yeah, I think points deductions because again, I'll just liken it to when a club goes into administration, which breaches the rules of the Premier League and the Football League. A club going into administration, you get a points deduction more often than not because of that, and you know that's a punishment on the fans and the points deductions are, are massive as well I mean think about what happened to I think was it Marley you'll remember when Leeds were in League One and they were docked something stupid like 12 points or maybe even 20 points it might have been and then you know they had to try and scrap their way back out uh, to try and avoid being relegated again so yeah it's happened it's happened to Sheffield Wednesday this season as well they started with a minus nine um yeah. and then I'm not sure what that was for I think it was like financial stuff but um yeah, yeah. I mean minus nine and then they fought their way out of it and then um they overturned that pretty quickly, I think. But then, now they're still struggling at the bottom of the league. So, it, it, essentially, mm. that minus nine could take them down. So, you see what impact it can have. Um, the only mm. thing you would say as well with um, with the potential um, points deduction is that because they're the top six, they shouldn't feel it as much. But, you know, because they, they finish towards, you know, towards the top half, so they should cancel it out pretty quickly but that's that's not the point i mean mm. you know you still they're still gonna have three or five or six points less than what they did last season um and that could be the difference between europe and, and non-europe so yeah yeah i'm probably leaning towards that to be honest it feels to me jp that you know this european super league the the bastard child if you will has been killed but we've yet to cut the head off the mother which birthed it and it feels like we are still Game trying of to... this 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 uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly less sex, but you know. <laughs> there won't be any sex on today's podcast, I can promise you for sure. But um, it feels like we're trying to find the right way to go about things, JP. And it seems increasingly difficult to find. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing. I mean, we can go back quite some time um, to talk about uh, when, where and how football lost its moral compass. Um, did it ever have one? <laughs> Don't know if it ever did in my lifetime. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, and I've seen a lot of talk about values. Values? Really? Are we really going to try and apportion values 
to to the Premier League, there is one, um, and that is profit at all cost, um, for the, for for the owners certainly, um, and when you open your club up, um, and welcome these conglomerates and uh, multinationals, and um, you know super wealthy states to come in and basically buy massive parts of your club um, with all the fanfare that uh, the, the riches and trophies they will bring and the superstar players. Um, what do you think is going to happen eventually? This is what these people do. <laughs> um, they, build, they, you know, they go in, they take things over, they find a way to turn themselves a, a, a greater profit than is, uh, than is currently being drawn. And if they don't get their way, they rip things up and start them again, and that's exactly what they're trying to do. And 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 you know, oh, there's need for more money, be that in Spain or Italy or England, and the profitability on it. Well, guess what? Spend less, man. Spend less. And do you know what? This fifty plus one rule that everyone keeps talking about in the Bundesliga, that's not going to save English football. That's just people trying to grasp at an opinion and and wave it around above their head as if that's going to solve the problem 50 plus 1 is not going to solve english football it really isn't uh, and, it goes, and this it goes is speaking from ex- that, doesn't it way deeper oh massively deeper and we haven't got time to go into it what we do need to go into is the fact that those big six premier league clubs that attempted to break away and form part of a european super league have issued differing apologies of varying degrees. Multiple statements have been released by all of the big six clubs. Arsenal wrote an open letter. Manchester City emailed supporters directly apologising. And John Henry from Liverpool issued a video apology. Do you buy any of these apologies, Marley, or are they simply saving face? Well, firstly, I would I would argue your point that they're apologies, because um, four of them that I read aren't at all um i read them on tuesday tuesday night and wednesday morning when they were released um and i think man city's was was about 40 words it was like one sentence basically and it just said um we're not joining this league didn't say sorry didn't say we apologize we got it wrong the only one that came out of it with any slight respect and i use that word very very lightly is is arsenal because arsenal wrote a Oh, yeah, albeit it was by a, a media um, media staff member, fine. But also, it said, you know, we we got this wrong. We apologise. Um, we uh, we made a decision which we thought was going to be good for the future of the club. And you know, after the the backlash and everything else, we got it wrong. And obviously, Arsenal fans are still mad, and so they should be. Um, but that was the that wasn't hard to say. You know, that that was the obvious thing. Just say sorry. And then Man City and Man United came out um, and Spurs came out as well and, and released their statements and it was just simply, we have not, we have decided to backtrack on our plans and start proceedings to withdraw from the Super League. And it was like, there was no mention of, sorry, sorry everyone, you know, we, we got this wrong and it was, it really wound me up to be honest because it just, it almost reinforced that they don't really care that they, um, that they've tried to, to do this thing which everybody hates they, they care because they got caught um and they, they it was almost like a statement out of embarrassment from from most of the clubs and then even liverpool can be can be thrown in with that because you know john henry sat in his boston red Sox little uh boardroom type thing you know saying in his you know fucking five million pound office saying that uh he cares 
that he cares about the uh, the the common Liverpool fan that he's just off. Like, no, that's that's not. It doesn't wash, and it it won't wash with the Liverpool fans because they know they can see right through it. It's not hard hard to see through. Um, and also, if you cared about the fans, you would you would do more. You wouldn't charge seventy five pound for a home shirt. You wouldn't wouldn't sign um, sign off on ticket prices that were forty five pound for the cheap seats and one hundred and twenty for the corporate seats, and you know thirteen pound a, a, for a burger and a pint in a in half time. You'd do more. So don't don't come and you know all of a sudden say that you care when you clearly don't um and that's the problem it just that's football wide that's not just club wide that's not just me having to go at liverpool or any of these other top six sides that's just the problem we have and that's why um people are looking at non-league and looking at the local game and saying well i can go and get a pint a ticket and a and a pie there for 18 quid so why can't i work the football sh- but never mind <laughs> it's a day out in it you know what i mean why would you not go to to yeah in, in my case, Ashton United or, or you know, Altrincham or Curzon Ashton or something like that. Why would you not go mm. there? So, you yeah, know what I mean? Guaranteed to see a scrap and a red card as well if you go to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, a bit more, and that's just in the stand. That, um, <laughs> but that, uh, and, 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 and uh, Mali's absolutely 100% right. You know, um, if, if <laughs> they aren't apologies. Um, what they are is backtracking and trying to save face. And uh, do, do, do you know what? I would probably have more respect for them if they did that. If they just went, ah, well, we screwed that one up. I'm not saying sorry for it because we really wanted to make that money, but we'll be back. At least, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, without getting too political on it again, uh, gentlemen, um, it reminds me very much of a certain government um, currently sat in power um, who continually make decisions that defy belief from a position of entitlement then treat people as if they are idiots when they backtrack on it and eventually are shamed into doing the right thing. Um, and what happens here is that when when you have that level of unchallenged power um, and that is all going, they, they don't see us as football supporters, they don't see us as fans, they see us as customers. And their take on it is, if you don't buy it, somebody else will. Um, and that is, I, I completely agree, goes way beyond the Premier League in the European Super League. Um, that is, uh, I see that prevalent throughout British football um, and European football as a whole. And uh, are we going to see some massive um, tide shift now? Um, and all of a sudden, football going back to this uh, wonderful bastion of the working man? No, not a chance. Um, this monster will raise its head again, just in a different, uh, a different form, and uh, what we have to do is be very vigilant, uh, be more open. I mean, only the other week we were talking, uh, Niall, about uh, a, a bit more open reporting on on agents' fees and all these kind of things. Yeah, it's so cloak. The, the game is so cloak and dagger. Indeed, um, as is international business at that level, because that's what it is. Um, then uh, you know, it, 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 there's a famous quote about boxing. That boxing's the only sport you can't play. Um, nobody plays boxing, <laughs> um, but um, I, I feel that you know that that's where this uh, this brilliant spin, this this veil, the smoke and mirrors that's always thrown up that football's a game, it's the people's sport. It's no, it's international business um, that just happens to take place on a a, 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 a football pitch, and uh, and these people will get what they want eventually. Sadly. Do you know what? I think the players are absolutely crucial in the future of the game. And that's obviously the most obvious thing to say. But I think the players need to start looking inward. And I know that 
naturally we defend them quite a lot because they are just human beings and they do take plenty of stick for the job that they do playing football. But like you say, JP, we heard from Roger Bell from Visible who have been doing some financial analysis on the game in this country for the last five or six years. And they have basically shown that the problem we've got in football at the moment in terms of finances and the black hole that just keeps getting bigger and blacker is that players and agents are paid too much money. And that is the problem. And that is the problem because the game won't go ahead without players. And of course, as the competitiveness increases, the wages increase, and that increases the costs for the common man, for want of a better term, those, that person paying for season tickets and shirts and all the rest of it. Anyway, we need to talk about Ed Woodward because in amongst all the fallout, we saw Jose Mourinho lose his job at Tottenham, but we also saw Executive Vice Chairman of Manchester United, Ed Woodward, announce he is to resign from his post at the end of 2021. What did you make of his departure, Marley? Because naturally, with all the European Super League news, it was kind of second fiddle, much like the Mourinho news on Monday. It was something that you'd think any other day would have been top billing in the world of Premier League football, but it wasn't to be the case. Well, it was like uh, Matt said on yesterday's podcast, you know, you, you bury bad news under other under worse news and, and nobody talks about it. Um, in this case, you can bury good news under bad news and nobody talks about it. Um, but yeah, even even this, even the Woodward thing was had an ulterior motive, I think. It was more of a diversion thing, I think, because it was like, yeah, Woodward resigns. Um at the end of 2021 you know what I mean it was like yeah. seven it's, mm. it's not gonna happen for another eight months they were gonna announce it at some point weren't they they've just decided yeah. to bring the announcement forward yeah so basically they've done nothing <laughs> so because he was either gonna go and they were gonna announce it in October or November or they're gonna announce it now it doesn't make a, <laughs> a difference does it like at all it doesn't make anything so he doesn't go any quicker he doesn't go you know with his tail well he goes with his tail slightly more between his legs that's all um so it was kind of like a, you know, like when the when the sharks are circling, chucking them a little bit, little bit of meat to let them chew on and and be happy with, and then you can carry on doing what you what you actually want to do. So I just thought it was um it was a bit of a um sly decision, but you know it's good for Man United fans that they've got um got him gone. Um, I know he did a lot of things. He probably did a lot of good things over time, but he, they were outweighed by the bad things and the fact that he wasn't a financial uh, that, that he wasn't a football man, he was a financial man. That's never going to wash long term. Um especially when you've got, you know, people like um former players going into boardrooms and doing supposedly good jobs, you know, like uh, Edwin van der Sar for example to continue the Man United link at Ajax he's doing um, what seems to be a good job there, um, although it's probably a better run club in terms of direction and everyone pulling in the same direction and swimming the same way sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, he's one of the problems gone, but the main problem is the Glazers and, you know, as much as you might love to, to, to want the Glazers gone if you're a Man United fan, I think it's, it's harder to get rid of owners um, as I'll I'll testify to, because we've been trying to get rid of our owners for fourteen years now, and it's only one man. Um, that um, yeah, it's it, it they're the problem, and they're the ones you got to get rid of. And Man United fans have to hope that that the Glazers' long term strategy was to break away from the Premier League, and now it's been squashed. That they um, that they decide that there's not enough money in this for them. Um, let's back out and and find another bidder, which is uh, which is which again, which is hard because. You know, you've got to have. I mean, how much is Man United listed for? A couple of billion or something like yeah, that. And the rest so of them. Mm. Yeah, so you have to have a couple of billion 
and then you're getting that from from places which aren't you know have the best morals you might you might get that from saudi or qatar or you know an oil state and then you become you become what you've been taking the piss out of man city for for you know 10 years 13 years whatever that's been so you know what i mean it's it's all football's gone a long way from what it was people need to get used to that um there are going to be characters like Ed Woodward and the Glazers that come in and um, strip away slightly more identity than you would have liked as a fan, but you have to get used to that and you know you have to um, either be with it or be against it. And if you're against it, go and support a different team. Go and support FC United of Manchester, for example. Go and support your local team or something. Just do anything, but you can't you can't stay in football and and have morals. It's it's almost one or the other these days. Certainly, I think you liken the situation to the owners of your club or the owners you say Mike Ashley I mean that man the stubbornness is unparalleled you know he's like a limpet he just keeps clinging onto the rock and he just won't let go and I think that that is something similar that we've seen in ownership in football a lot over the last decade why do you think in the main Manchester United fans weren't keen on Edward with JP what was it you think that really turned them off against him He's got one of their faces, hasn't he? <laughs> um, <laughs> he does look like a, a smarmy little man, doesn't he? <laughs> um, little slimy man. You know what I mean? When you when you are the man who um, joins Manchester United, this you know <laughs> this this incredible footballer institution, this this bastion of of you know what I mean, rising from the ashes, um, quite literally. Um, at one point, uh, the J.P. Morgan banker. Um, who comes in? Um, I, I think um, he, he, he took. I, I think I read at some point he, he took about twenty one million pounds um, in salary out of the club, um, and uh, managed to raise the finance to leverage United into the American hands of the Glazers. Um, it's, it's quite hard to find any uh, redeeming elements about Edward Woodward. Um, it's little wonder they were firing. They, they, were, they were shoving fireworks at his house um, not so long ago. And uh, I think the club spent in the region of one billion pounds under uh, under Woodward, and um, you know th- 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 there's obviously been lots of kind of interrogation from within the club and the terraces and all the rest of it, um, and uh, you know they've they've made some really really bad business and footballing decisions across that across that piece. So, um, uh, and you know post Fergie. Um, where you always know that you know the, the, the club is still struggling to come back from that, um. But uh, everybody needs a villain, and uh, his bankers past, and that we face, um. I, I think just make him the perfect villain for any Man United fan who already had a, had a bit of an axe to grind. Well, playing devil's advocate, United's commercial revenue did increase 29% in the last five years. See, that's exactly uh, the argument that would make a Man United fan Edward Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> I did say I was playing devil's advocate, JP, in all fairness. Time for a quick break. I'm sure that we'll hear more about the future of Manchester United at executive level very, very soon. Also, it's important that we mention that some breaking news whilst we're on the podcast. It seems to be a running theme throughout this week. Manchester United have actually just issued a statement saying at approximately 9am this this morning, a group gained access to the club's training ground. The managers and others spoke to them. Buildings were secured and the group has now left the site. Effectively, fans were there protesting against the owners of Manchester United Football Club and against the club's 
proposed application to participate in the European Super League. Of course, that Super League is no more and Ed Woodward will stand down from his role as Manchester United Executive Vice Chairman at the end of 2021. Right, take a deep breath. Still more to come here on Football Social Daily. We'll be talking about Everton and last night's Premier League football next. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. Brand new shows every single day of the Premier League season. It's been a hell of a week in terms of Premier League news. So if you do want to keep bang up to date in podcast form, hit subscribe and Football Social Daily is the way to go. We're going to leave the European Super League on the back burner for a little bit now because it's time to talk about Everton and their director of football, Marcel Brands has signed a new three-year deal at Goodison Park. Uh, Fans seem to love him. The ownership seems to love him at Everton. But before we do talk about Marcel Brands and his future at the club, I want to hear from John Paul Hughes, who used to play for Dundee United back in the day, didn't you, JP? There's been a tweet going around that I saw yesterday about uh, Duncan Ferguson, the former Everton striker, big dunk as he's known, uh, obviously as former Scotland international as well sent a video message to an Everton fan who'd been slacking off from his photography homework. And uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that Big Dunk wasn't best impressed. Hey, young Tom. Your right son is Duncan Ferguson here from Everton Football Club. I just wanted to wish you all the best, pal. Your teacher has told me you've been slacking off a wee bit in your photography. Is that right? We can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out all right and make sure that you get the results. And if you get the results right and you stick in, I'll come and see you. All right? I'll take you for a bit of lunch or I'll come to your house or something, eh? We'll sit down and have a wee chat. So you make sure you stick in, eh? Come on, don't f*** the job up. All right, mate? Stick in, son. So there we go. That's what Big Dunk had to say to an Everton fan who'd been slacking off from his photography. Uh, You've got a couple of great anecdotes about Big Dunk, haven't you, JP? Not many people have seen (laughs) Big Dunk up close and personal on the training ground, but I think you might have done. Yeah, man. He's uh, going back to about uh, 1993 here, which is the year that I I, I signed full-time and and went YTS, actually, back in the day. I'm old enough to remember what a YTS scheme was. Um, Boot scrubbing. (laughs) Boot scrubbing, uh, cleaning, uh, you know, bud crap off his stand seats on a Friday before the first team game. All that stuff that was going on. Uh, back in the day, cleaning showers with toothbrushes, and then they would take the bucket of dirty water and throw it back on the wall, make you do it again, all that stuff. Um, oh. Proper military boot camp material. But um, <laughs> Big Fergie was 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 at Dundee United at the time. Um, we'd, we were passing ships in the night, really. He was away pretty much as soon as I came in. Not saying that was down to me, lads. I wasn't his replacement. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, and uh, I was actually talking about that earlier. I was kind of laughing about that 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 video that he's got. He's he's got that brilliant thing where he he, he very quickly uh, he flips from 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 charismatic charmer. Um, to potential psychopath uh, with with the uttering of two swear words, you know, it's, there's there's a real Frank Frank Begbie um, streak running through him there. Um, but yeah, going, going back then, um, and and this was a, a reaction you had, I think you had listed the four uh, uh, toughest things um, or hardest surfaces known to man, and uh, Big Duncan Ferguson was number four, and and and, and I can back that up. Um, it was it was my first day. As a as an apprentice professional footballer, and um, back then, w- what you did is uh, the reserve team and, and and the YTS boys, we we would get changed in the uh, in the away dressing room. 
and the first team get, get ready in the home dressing room. So I've come in early, um, nobody's in yet. Uh, the first team's been playing the night before at Tannadice. They had been playing Aberdeen. And uh, in the middle of the away dressing room where, where the kids and the reserves would go, um, I've opened the door, there's hardly anybody there, and Big Fergie is on the treatment table, which isn't in a physio's room in the away dressing room, it's just right slap bang in, in the middle of the yeah. Mm. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so he's lying there, um, uh, start naked, right? Not, 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 not a stitch on. And he is ranting and raving, and there's two physios working on him. He's completely naked. Um, and I'm just standing there, and he's ranting and raving, and I've never, I'm not exaggerating, lads. I have never seen a human leg, a human being's legs so black and blue, right? <laughs> not even just his legs, his body. He honestly looked as if he had been in a mixed martial arts fight. And he's ranting and raving, they two f- those two f- and he's gone off his head and he's throwing stuff and all that. The two fishers <laughs> are their head down, they're staying at the ground trying to work on the bruises and his legs and all that. And he's shouting about Alec McLeish and Willie Miller, who were the, uh, the Aberdeen centre halves at the time. Who have obviously given him an absolute pasting, you know, they've kicked seven <laughs> colours of crap out him during this game. So he's in early the next morning, obviously, to get treatment and get the bruises, and he's putting ice on him. And every time they put ice on him, he's throwing something at their heads and all that, right? But check, man, that's watch what you're doing, you stupid. <laughs> and he's throwing something. <laughs> and I'm starting now, imagine I'm 17 years old, right? Just, just turned 17, by the way. <laughs> just just after my 17th birthday um, just left home arrived in this new city for the first time so I'm standing in the change room I think this has gone for about five minutes I've not sat down yet right I'm too scared to and I'm sta- and if you can picture my face you know that gif of the wee boy and he's standing looking like, with total amazement and he's got an ice cream cone melting down his hand right <laughs> that's the expression on my face and big dog he's ranting and <laughs> raving for about five ten minutes and he turns around and sees me and he just locks eyes with me and I'm like oh no and he looks at me and goes Alright wee man I went Aye He says Don't f***ing worry about it You think I'm bad You want to see estates are A2 <laughs> <laughs> and That was my first And then that was As soon as I was in the room He kind of flipped his mood And he was like Oh there's a kid And he started to be dead jovial And kind of joke about it And all that but Right from that moment on I was like This guy's a maniac man And then he, he Very very soon after that He went to Rangers And, and I can neither You know This this is a rumour This one So I, I will I will uh, I will clarify that, and obviously I've got a few friends at Rangers at the time. You've you know you've all kind of um, gone full time, having come through youth systems and all that stuff. And uh, Mark Hately, so Big Fergie arrived at uh, at Rangers, and mm. Mark Hately was still the, the the main man there, main centre forward. Um, a man, great known, striker, Mark Hately was tremendous man, but a man known not to take many prisoners, um, and also a man known for absolutely horrendously outrageous. Uh, Jackets, suit jackets, you know. You might remember some of these if you don't Google Mark Hately jackets. So, especially when he arrived in Scotland, and, and, and obviously all these England players have arrived in Scotland at the time, you know, the, the, you know Rangers, <laughs> let's not go into all that again, uh, <laughs> paying, paying wages other people couldn't somehow. And uh, Mark Hately and Chris Woods and all these guys and Graham Soonis and that are all coming up. Um, anyway, Fergie's went to Rangers at the time and Mark Hately's there, and apparently one of his infamous Versace jackets was, uh, was hanging up in the dressing room which uh, Fergie wasn't very impressed by, and uh, decided to cut the arms, the sleeves off the jacket while they were all out at training, which is a, a, a famous old stunt that, that lots of footballers used to do to each other. Mm. And uh, Hately's come back, not too impressed, as you could imagine, as this was probably a rather expensive jacket that's been cut into pieces, and uh, has been starting to go off his head. Big Fergie sitting there with a smile on it. Uh, who was it? Who was it? I think nobody's going to admit to it. Fergie, hands straight up. Me? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> outside 
onto the track and out the two of them have went to in Scotland to what we call to have a square go, um, which is uh, <laughs> basically a little bit of the old bare knuckle boxing. And uh, by all accounts, uh, Fergie absolutely wiped the floor with him in front of uh, most of the Rangers first team and the reserves and the youths all standing open mouth. Now, thankfully, we're getting back to 1993 here. Nobody had mobile phones. There was no such thing and there was no social media for that going on. And there's a few other amazing stories I could tell you about them, things like, you know, when they, they had a big race with, with, with the home, he was into, really into racing pigeons and uh, he had this, 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 this kind of long race that they, they, they all went on to. Fergie was very confident this, uh, that this pigeon was going to win. Um, and indeed, I think it was a considerable, I think this was at the time he was maybe down at Everton or Newcastle and it was a race back to Stirling. Uh, where he's from, and uh, his pigeon um, won by a distance, or got to Stirling first by a, by a distance, but you can't win the pigeon race unless it lands on top of the pigeon coop. Fergie's flew all the way back, got first, but sat on top of the house and wouldn't come down. So he was very, very, because there was quite a lot of money riding this, as there usually is, and uh, the other guy's pigeons were, you know, they were kind of making their way back in, and he's thinking he's going to lose this, even though this pigeon's been miles and miles ahead of everybody else's. Uh, so what did he do? He shot the pigeon. Um, <laughs> uh, so that so that it would come up, so that it would come out with an air rifle, so that it would come off the, uh, so that it would come off the, 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 the roof of the house, and then he physically put it on top of the coop, dead, so that he still won the race. <laughs> Oh, Duncan Ferguson, tell you what, nice little bit of light relief there after what's been a heavy week of news. Um, big Dunk, of course, still at Everton. And we should talk about Marcel Brands, really. The director of football has signed a new three-year deal. He's already been at the club three years, Marley. He's made an impression to those at Everton in the three years he's been there. I think the fans generally quite like him. The ownership certainly do because they've handed him a new deal. Only for me this summer, though, has he really cracked the recruitment with, with Ancelotti as manager. What do you make of the situation? Uh, yeah, he's, he seems to be doing doing pretty well. I think he's he's one of the... Um, what's his role? Sporting director or something like that. Um, he's, you know, he's one of them where the fans like him and that's not easy to... Um, it's not straightforward that in, in football. You look at the sporting directors at the other 19 Premier League clubs and there's probably less than... It's probably about fifty-fifty whether they like who's in charge or whether they think they could be doing a better job. Um, so yeah, I think they're all on the same page at Everton. They're all obviously they're very ambitious. Um, and ever since you know Ancelotti came in, you can fish in a in a different pond. You can go shopping in a in a, a Waitrose rather than a you know a, a, an Asda or something like that. Let's not get into any into... caterpillar debates today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. M and S have got too many lawsuits on the go at the minute with calling the caterpillar, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, you can attract bit better players and even though that's mainly because of the manager, um, you still have to get them over the line and convince them of the project and show them everything. And, and the players that they've they've recruited is um, is testament to, to how sort of ambitious they are and, and the, the type of things they're trying to pull off at Everton. So, you know, Alan from um, a regular European club in Napoli um, James Rodriguez obviously speaks for himself, and then to to get him on a free as well is fantastic business because everyone thought there was a small uh, transfer fee uh, involved, but no, they got him on a free. Um, Dakure, you know, cherry picking the best players that get relegated um, in Abdullah Dakure because he was one of the best ones at uh, at Watford at the time. Um, and yeah, you're going back, Lucas Dina, Andre Gomez, they're really really good players, and they're they're, they're at a good age as well. They're not getting cast offs from from you know big uh, clubs like Barcelona and they're not getting them when they're 30, 31 and only have a couple of years and might have their, their heads elsewhere. So I think they've done really well in the um, in the transfer market. They probably need maybe one or two other um, 
windows to get to get fully sorted and then when they go into this new stadium with Ancelotti and you know the squad where they where they want it to be then um yeah the, then they can push and say right let's go for the Champions League every year because Arsenal are, are, are probably still be we could be doing this podcast in two years time and Arsenal will still be treading water winning one week losing the other week and drawing the, the week after that so them and Spurs they can probably target um, especially off the back of this season, and say, okay, can we go above them? Can we target them and get them, uh, get their positions in the league? You know, when you're genuinely challenging for the top four or five. Um, mm. And I think they're going in that the right direction. Yeah, certainly Everton. They've got big ambitions. What do you think their objectives might be, JP? Because they've got a new stadium on the way. They did issue a damning statement condemning the Big Six over the European Super League. But isn't that Big Six the top table that they're trying to pull a chair up at? Yeah, that's the that's the kind of irony of, of this thing, and and, and obviously it is it, it's all uh, we can speculate forever. You know, if Everton were invited, um, do we really think that they said no? I don't. <laughs> I think they'd have went in, in, in the blink of an eye. Um, so what are you know? So this this might you know I'm not trying to say it's the right thing to do here. Um, or, or, or by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's it's usually the pioneers who take the slings and arrows. Yes, the the, the, the Super League was a dreadful idea um, and it was abysmally handled. Um, but had clubs like Everton been invited into it, um, what would they have done differently? Um, I still think something like that, you know, will take place um, and I fully expect Everton's ambitions to be part of that. Um, and from there, if, if, if you know, Everton, again... Uh, and I know a lot of supporters will say the same thing about about their clubs. It's supposed to be, you know, a club of the people. You know, the, the people of Merseyside always claim that as well that that Everton's the real people's club. You know, and all the rest of it. I'm sure Steve McNaughton's currently throwing something at his, uh, <laughs> his, his device at the moment. Um, but uh, I, I I don't know. I, for again, I, I look at Everton. I think what what is what is that next step for you? Where is it you go to? And and if you really want to be part of that and I hate using that word, but elite that's there in, in those top six, then the, the, these are some of the things that you that, that you have to do. So I, I don't really know where Everton go from here because mm. I do still think they've got quite a... It's quite a chasm uh, between them and, uh, and and the business setups of some of those other clubs. So what they do next, I, I really don't know. But I, I do wish them well because it's, it's a club I admire. Certainly, me too. I, re- I really like Everton. I think for me, they're, they're kind of a club that I've got a soft spot for. But I mean, when I first found out they were leaving Goodison Park, I was a bit upset because I feel like as soon as a club does leave a, a traditional stadium like that, it reminded me of when West Ham announced they were leaving the bowling ground. And, you know, Upton Park had so much history and look how long it's taken them at the London Stadium to really get their ducks in order. And it's taken a season of fans not being in the stadium for West Ham to, to really, you know, fulfill that ambition and that promise that they made to supporters that they'd be competing for European football when they moved there and again similarly to Arsenal when they left Highbury and they moved into a new stadium the promise was that they'd be competing with Europe's best they'd be competing in Champions League finals and all the rest of it well if anything they've declined since then so I do wonder what the next step is for Everton but their director of football or sporting director or technical director or whatever his official title is Marcel Brands has signed a new three-year deal at the club do you know there was a there's actually a rumor that he, he signed that contract because Duncan Ferguson's uh, wrist was around his neck when he did it. 
Duncan Ferguson's, uh, you, you bought a racing pigeon off Duncan Ferguson, maybe. <laughs> uh, two Premier League games last night in amongst all the chaos. Forgive us if the enthusiasm for these fixtures isn't quite as there as it normally is. Of course, there's been so much going on this week, but Tottenham and Southampton squared off, as did Aston Villa and Manchester City. We'll start with the game uh, between Spurs and Saints. The post-Mourinho bounce, Marley. Tottenham got the 2-1 victory. Was that almost inevitable after Jose Mourinho left the club? Uh, I expected them to win, yeah. Um, I think usually when a manager goes, there's there's a bit of a bounce. Um, I think when a manager like Mourinho goes, uh, everyone feels that pressure lift. Um, you know, the, we know the type of relationships he has with his players, um, demands a lot from them, tells them they're the worst player in the world when they have a bad game and, and all that. And, you know, you, you can kind of understand why... why um, the performance level rises when when somebody like uh, like that leaves the club. So um, I think as well with with it being Ryan Mason in charge, he's you know he Spurs through and through. I think he, he joined Spurs when he was eight years old and he was there till uh, he was about twenty five or something like that. So he he knows how the team should play and use that in inverted commas. But yeah, he um, he 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 gets what they are um i think and i think that's the perfect short term uh appointment it's similar to you know it's it's similar to sort of man united giving giving it to ryan Giggs to the end of the season back back when they sacked uh they sacked Moyes, um and that kind of thing because you you get somebody that's been in been in your club for a long time um and you know obviously they got the result last night they they brought their luck a little bit um some some stuff went against them, you know, with the VAR ruling out Son's Son's first goal and then awarding him the penalty for the second goal. So that kind of um, levelled it out. But I expect Spurs to improve from now to the end of the season um, and probably finish um, probably sixth, I would say. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what they do in the summer, see if they can attract someone like, um, like Nagelsmann or... Uh, the, the Italian fella Allegri, I don't know who who they're quite going for, but you know it should be it should be a big name because they're they're not done um, trying to trying to break into this title race every season. I don't think, and if Levy stays, he'll want to make make amends for his uh, his recent actions by um, bringing some sort of success to the club and hopefully for them starting on Sunday when they play the Carabao mm. Cup final. I don't think he cares about his recent actions, Marley, to be honest. I really no, don't. I, I, I <laughs> don't think he him. gives two monkeys about it. Anyway, when Jose Mourinho, JP, was talking about his players last week, it felt like that was the writing on the wall for him. He threw them under the bus and not for the first time. It's become a nasty little trademark of Mourinho's which never happened back in the early days when he first arrived in English uh, on English soil but if you do look at the players they've got Harry Kane albeit he was injured last night but Gareth Bale Son Heung-min Lucas Moura Deli Ali, so many good players so many good attacking players why do you think they have been below par can you just level that at the manager because even in the latter stages under Pochettino they weren't quite firing on all cylinders and I suppose a comparison you could draw, maybe, is Liverpool's front three or four because they've been lacklustre by their standards this season as well. I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm baffled by it. I was thinking this very point last night um, when I was watching the football. Um, you know, obviously Kane's not on the pitch, but you've got Son and Bale and everybody else that's there. And, and, and you think, why can't you get a tune out of that orchestra there? What is it that's going on that... that, that that, that prevents this consistent high level performance and I 
honestly genuinely believe that far too often players get an easy ride here. Um, I think that all too often the, 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 the blame for that is put on the manager or an individual because it's easier to do. Um, again, we talked about this earlier on, you know, get, uh, every problem needs the face of a villain um, and, and Josie fits that perfectly at times and, and, and plays up to it, as we know. Um, and you could say the same with, with, with Liverpool. You know, it's exactly the same problem. I think you make an excellent comparison. The, uh, you, you you could argue that if you want to start from scratch almost and, and, and pick a Premier League select or, or start to build that perfect Premier League team, those are you know those are some of the, the, the front players that you that would be first on your list. Um, and, and they can't get them playing together. So I, th- I think it's too simple um, just to put it at, at Jose's door. Um, because if that was the case, then you would, you would put the very same blame at Klopp's door for the underperformance of Liverpool. It's absolutely baffling. But I think those players as individuals um, have, uh, have let themselves down as well um, with the application, the attitude... And the lack of consistency they brought through the season. Nobody mm. doubts their ability, but I do doubt their attitude. Yeah, Tottenham 2, Southampton 1. Final score last night in the Premier League. Tottenham's season, well, not really over, is it? Still plenty to fight for if you do think that they are going to make it into the top four. But Southampton certainly feel that that's their season done, particularly after the FA Cup semi-final defeat last weekend. Aston Villa 1, Manchester City 2 was the final score in the other Premier League game last night. A double header in the top flight yesterday. Villa took the lead after a rapid start, JP. I mean, John McGinn finding the back of the net after, I think, just over 20 seconds. With early goals, and you've played the game, so maybe you can shed a little bit more insight on this. Is there that much analysis that can be done with goals that come so quickly at the start of a game? Is it a case of players simply haven't switched on and they haven't settled into a rhythm of the game yet is that an explanation possibly yeah I think that's all it is I don't think you can take too much from that um, <laughs> I think what was quite interesting as well is when you see the build up to that goal I can't remember who it is out on the left hand side as the ball comes to before it's delivered into the box but you can. T- it takes a really bad touch the ball almost goes through his legs and he kind of miscontrols it and it takes him two or three extra touches to get himself composed before the ball is delivered across which uh, which is a lovely little uh, spin finish from from McGinn to take it away from from Lloris but uh, I think that's all it is it's just, it, 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 but again that comes back to real criminal uh, lack of focus um, that, that, that's what your warm-ups for um, you know it, it, the, the warm-up is there so that you when that whistle blows you're as you're as, as focused and ready as you are at any other moment in that match so uh, a, a personal responsibility uh, from players is what I would put that down to, um, because all the tactics and all the planning in the world goes out the window if someone isn't switched on the minute that the, the game starts. And just just to, to to reference it again, without going back to Dundee United too much, I remember one time we were playing a reserve game, and this this completely changed my attitude to warming up. And uh, at the time, Rangers were signing superstars over the place. I mean, the reserve team this night, I'm, I'm not joking you, it had Oleg Selenko, Alexei Mikhailichenko, um, Alan McCoyst, Ian Duran, Chris, all guys that played in World Cup. Selenko had actually just come off the back of being the top scorer at the World Cup. And uh, and uh, Basil Bolly, I've all remember Basil Bolly, um, hmm. won the, 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 the European Cup at the time with Marseille. And... Uh, used to watch the way that players would warm up and I saw Basil Bolly coming off the pitch at reserve game warm-up and he honestly looked as if he had gone um, 10 rounds in a, in a boxing match. He he looked the way other players do at half-time at the end of his warm-up and he started the game like an absolute steam engine 
and uh, and I know players take their warm ups not that much more seriously now. But for me, that was that was a massive shift in my mentality that you and a game you had to go into the game as if it was the second half starting. That's how mm. warm and ready you should be. I think that mm. all it comes down to is players aren't doing that. Yeah, certainly. I feel feel that warming up and warming down and, and maybe the lack of fans as well. We've spoken about it all season, but the lack of fans to generate some sort of atmosphere, even from kickoff, I think maybe that could have something to do with it. City's equaliser, Marley, was a trademark Manchester City goal. A cutback for Phil Foden to finish. They do inch a little bit closer to that Premier League title. It seems almost inevitable now that they are going to be champions at the end of the season. But their next focus is not Premier League action. It's the Carabao Cup final against Tottenham Hotspur at Wembley on Sunday. Do you think there'll be too much for Tottenham when that rolls around? Uh, yeah. Because um, as much as you... As much as I said before about Tottenham's little bounce, um, I think tactically um, you, have, you have to have... You have to beat your top of your game to um, to compete with Man City. And I think um, to, to ask... To ask a, a caretaker, twenty-nine-year-old manager, to come up with a blueprint to beat Man City in a cup final of a cup competition they've won the last three years in a row, or four, is it? I'm not sure. Um, to win the Manchester City Carabao Cup is um, is is tough because you know it's a hell of a task. You know, two what five six days in uh, to to your reign, so you know you've got to get the tactics right. You've got to understand everything um that the manager wants in certain situations and i think you can you can ride the wave past lesser teams um like like um spurs did last night against southampton and you can get results that way but i mean when you come up against someone like man city you would expect them to be too much um too much for you um but wouldn't it just be Jose Mourinho's luck that he uh, he gets he leaves a club and six days later they they win a trophy because it's the first club he's not won a trophy at uh, and also that was what he was brought into Tottenham to do by all accounts win them a trophy John Stones was sent off last night for Manchester City Matty Cash was also sent off for Aston Villa but let's focus on the John Stones dismissal for me it was an awful challenge Marley terrible challenge he's going to miss the cup final uh, for Manchester City against Tottenham. Disappointing for him on a personal level after what's been such an impressive season. Do you think Red was the right call? Because I've seen quite a few supporters, Manchester City supporters on social media, saying they didn't think it was a red card. Now, has that just blew tinted glasses from them? Because I thought it was definitely a red. Uh, I, in, in, the, in, in today's game, it's a red 10 times out of 10. Um I think you you got away with them ones a few years back. You may be going back five or six years. I think you get away with them, um, but you know, with as soon as you slow it down with VAR, it looks worse than it is. It, you feel the pain when it's uh, when it's slowing down, and you, you know you can see the studs yeah. make contact with uh, Ramsey's knee above yeah. the knee as well. The ball was miles away too, and I know it looks a lot worse yeah. in slow motion, but I don't see how anyone can not see that's a red card. Like you say, in the modern game, for me, yeah. I think it's nailed think it's, on. It's a genuine attempt for the ball as well, which is what um, probably is annoying Man City fans. It's one of yeah. them that, that you can't not... He's not, not going to try and you kick his head off, is he? I mean, Yeah, you can't not go for it as a defender, um, and you know you're going to catch the lad when, if you don't get it, you know, if he gets a tip of his toe to it, you're in trouble, um, and that's that's exactly what happened. I don't think there was any mm. no malice in it or anything like that. But you know, ideally, if, if I was you know in charge of the refereeing of the game, I, I'd have that as a yellow card. But the way the the way the ball, um, sorry, the way the the football is now, that uh, you're never going to get away with that, unfortunately. And uh, mm. I think I think the 
Cash's tackle on on Foden was worse because that was cynical. That that knew, you know, Foden had skipped away from him. And if I'd you know if I'd been marking Phil Foden for an hour, I'd want to kick him as well. But <laughs> I think you know, he'd been booked instead... for fouling Foden just a matter of minutes before that as well. Yeah, so exactly, you've got to be you've got to be cleverer than that. Um, and yeah, you know that that was there was more malice in that one. There was more intent to chop him down. So I, I agree with uh, agree with that one as well. But yeah, in in the modern game, Stones is getting sent off 100 percent of the time for that. But to be honest, it was probably the best thing that happened to him all day because he, he made a bit of a, a clangor for the first goal as well, mm-hmm. McGinn's goal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he tries to clear that with his, with his left foot. I think uh, when he's stretching, to if you're stretching, you know, with every sinew, you're you, you shouldn't be going for it with your weaker foot. I think you should try and you know hook your right foot around it. And if you make bad contact, it goes into touch. If you make good contact, it goes up the pitch. Whereas with your left foot, it's more likely mm-hmm. to slide off the top of it like it did. So, yeah. Um, not not a great day at the office for Stones, but they got the win, and he won't yeah. won't really mind too much because he's had a great season. Yeah, Stones going to miss the Carabao Cup final against Chelsea, but I'm sure if if Manchester City do win, he'll be rewarded with a medal and uh, a chance to celebrate with his teammates. Final score in the Premier League last night: Villa one, Manchester City two. Pep Guardiola's side do edge closer to reclaiming the Premier League title from Liverpool. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Great podcast. Thanks very much, Marley. Thanks, JP. I'm going to get on the phone to Eddie Hearn to try and set up a white collar between JP and Big Dunk Ferguson. <laughs> make, a few, make a few quid on the old pay-per-view. Uh, this has been Football Social Daily. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast, another show tomorrow, and the day after, and, of course, every subsequent day for the rest of the Premier League season, because that's what we do here. So make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss one. Catch you soon here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.